Good morning. morning. Let's open with prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, we are so thankful for you, for your love, for your truth, for your methods. We ask that your spirit will join us, uh, enlighten us, transform us, and make us effective for your kingdom. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So announce a couple few announcements. Uh, our, uh, our ministry, Come and Reason, has had a booth at ASI this past week at their uh, annual uh, meeting in Orlando. It opened on Wednesday evening, and, and our booth, uh, as you know, we roll at how we roll at these things. We give everything away. We don't sell. And in this convention hall, if you've ever been to an event with a convention hall, um, there's lots of different exhibitors, and we were the only ones giving everything away. Everybody else is selling stuff or, or soliciting donations or things along those lines, but we just give, and we were giving away all of our materials. Could it be this simple? The God-shaped brain, God-shaped heart, aging brain, remedy, New Testament, the meditation guide, and things were just going. We had a crowd around our booth constantly, people coming up from all over telling, hey, we listen to Dr. Tim. We love coming, read the ministries. Testimonies going on. So exciting. One family came up and said, well, we've been listening to Come and Reason, our family, uh, for, for the Bible study class for several years now, including our children listening. But we don't listen to just Come and Reason. We listen to other um, Adventist Bible study Sabbath school classes as well because we like to compare what other people are saying. And this uh, recently, our 12-year-old daughter said to us, you know why I like Dr. Tim? Because he makes me believe that I can think for myself. <laughs> Isn't that great? And that's exactly what our goal is, to help people develop their God-given reasoning abilities to discern and think for themselves. Well, everything is going fantastic. People are walking all over, uh, all over the the, the auditorium. People are carrying Come and Reason bags, and they've taken off their lanyard from ASI and put on the Come and Reason lanyard, and they're walking all over. And and, uh, then last night at 10 o'clock, they shut us down. They, they came and, and told us we had to shut our booth down at 10 o'clock last night. Today's the last day. And, uh, and they asked why, and they said, well, a couple of people have uh, expressed discomfort and, and asked if this was really the type of a booth they wanted at ASI. No specific issue or, com- or problem. And, uh, but, and so, and so our, our staff was very gracious and said, well, um, would you like us to tear this down on Sabbath? <laughs> and of course they said um well um they got real uncomfortable and and, and uh well no so so the uh the last word i had is that they are um uh, just instructed to cover up all of our materials so we don't give but they can still be there and witness and talk to people so um we'll be taking addresses today for all who would like our materials so we will ship it at no cost as we always do anyway so, um, so pray today, be in prayer today, that our team will be, uh, that the Spirit will be there, they'll be given wisdom, they'll be able to make some, some good uh, inroads. Uh, I will tell you, they gave over 1,500 of our books away uh, in the days that, or, and, and people were going and getting their friends and coming back. One pastor uh, took some materials, it was kind of questionable, and he, and he, he went away and read it, came back the next day and asked for a case to take to his church. So, so it's, it's the Lord's really blessing. So last week I explored how events in our world are teaching people to practice the methods, the beastly methods of coercion, Satan's methods of of lies, uh, uh, use of authority, proclamations of position, uh, accusations, uh, deplatforming, bribes, payoffs, coercion, all this kind of stuff um, in uh, in advancement of a certain medical treatment, uh, while those who are... um, asking for more evidence or urging caution, um, but not necessarily saying don't do it, just be informed and, and let's be open and, and so forth, are being uh, 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 sidelined. So I said we want to be truth seekers and we want to investigate the evidence, and I'm happy to report that on one of the points that I presented last week, it turns out that it was a misstatement, not by me, but by the person I quoted and the health official who put the information out there misspoke. So my report of what he said was accurate, but what he said wasn't accurate. So, and uh, this was the official from Australia who said that 140 out of 141 had been vaccinated. He meant to say 140 out of 141 had not been vaccinated. So that, that needs to be corrected, and I appreciate the emails that I got uh, clarifying that. 
Uh, on another point, I mentioned that pathologists have uh, spent, have spent time examining the actual blood samples of COVID recovered pa- people report that natural immunity is much broader and more robust with hundreds of antibodies hitting all different aspects of the, uh, of the virus, including the envelope and the membrane and the nucleocapsid as well as the spike. And that, uh, that because of their evaluation and their understanding of historic immunity, that their position is that the, uh, the recovered should have better immunity than, than somebody getting a vaccine with just a single antibody to one one's protein on uh, the... Um, that kind of makes sense. Well, after class last week, um, I came across two new research articles. Uh, d- one was dated July 28, 2021, which documents that, in fact, this is true. According to the JAMA New- Network, Journal of American Medical Association Network, in an article entitled... Uber antibodies from recovered COVID-19 patients could spur new therapeutics and vaccines. In the art, the, they, they document that recovered individuals have a multitude of different types of antibodies, not just a spike protein antibody. And this is what it says in the article, quote, two of the antibodies were ultra-potent at tiny concentrations across all 23 of the variants the scientists tested, including the highly transmissible alpha, beta, and delta versions. So that is direct hard science of recovered people having a robust immunity against all the variants. That's one study. Here's another one. This came out. It says, then on Wednesday night, another article came out across my desk entitled, Long-Term Persistence of Neutralizing Antibodies in SARS-CoV-2. That's what we're dealing with following infection. And the data shows that the antibodies persist at least 13 months out, because that's how far we've been able to track people now. So 13 months later, you still have robust immunity if you've recovered from the illness. There was another study that showed 11 months out, and this one now is 13 months out. And then if you look at the studies that look at people who recovered from SARS-CoV-1, they have immunity 17 years later still. So the hard science looking at actual people who've recovered show that you get much more robust immunity if you've recovered. But then, this week, a report came out from the CDC that says, and this report was a survey of people who live in Kentucky comparing people in a survey from recovered versus vaccinated. And in this review, which is a community survey, not actually doing direct evaluation of their blood, they found that If you were recovered, you were 2.4 times more likely to get reinfected than if you've been vaccinated. And so the CDC's position is that if you have recovered, you have less effective immunity than if you've been vaccinated. Based on a survey, not actually hard direct immunological evidence. I don't, my personal view, these things don't match. There's a mismatch here. Something doesn't add up. Not only is the science on the actual immune antibodies of the recovered what we would call harder or more, or more re- reliable science than a community survey, if you look at the types of, of research done, community surveys are less reliable than direct measurements. Okay. Not only is that the case, it, it's contrary to what we understand about how your immune system actually works from all other diseases. How many of you guys, after you got a a traditional, say, polio vaccine, have less immunity after you had, and the polio vaccine was exposure to a uh, attenuated polio virus. So to your body, it's like you got the polio virus and you fought it off and you overcame the actual illness. That's how the polio vaccine works. So to your body, I got infected with polio and I overcame it and got rid of it. And now, and now, are you vulnerable? You might have gotten that when you were a child. 50 years ago, you're still immune. This is what we know about how the immune system works. So what is going on in our society that they downplay hard science, upplay soft survey science in order to tell people and make policy that, and, and the policy based on, we, we encourage all recovered people to go out and get the in, injection. Why? What's that about? Something's not adding up here, folks. There's something wrong. Then one of our family members emailed the link to an article entitled, Fact Check, 
no evidence that Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine causes Alzheimer's disease. The opening paragraph stated, quote, as of this article's publication, the COVID-19 vaccine manufactured by Pfizer Biotech um, has not been shown to cause prion disease or neurodegenerative disease such as Alzheimer's and Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Experts say a paper circulating online does not provide legitimate evidence otherwise. And then they go on to reference the author of that paper that they're referring to as a known anti-vaxxer and suggest because he doesn't like vaccines that he's made up a fraudulent paper is basically the position. If you remember, last week I referenced an article that found that the spike protein, which uh, the virus has, uh, and, this, uh, and the study looked at COVID-recovered patients uh, and found that the spike protein found on the virus can uh, bind to a certain receptor in your brain that increases the accumulation of proteins associated with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Lewy body, and spongy form disease. So I went on to say that um, the, uh, there is concern, based on this study, that the vaccine, which causes your body to make the spike protein, has the potential to cause this problem because it's the spike protein that binds to the heparin binding re receptor in the brain that causes the accumulation of these proteins. So it was that that resulted in this person sending the, the link. So what's our response to, to this, this? And I'm bringing this up because we want people to reason. How do you discern? How do you make sense of what, what these things? Are these contradictory? Do you read the one that says, well, I, I'm afraid. I've got the vaccine. I, I don't want to. I, I, hope, I hope my brain won't be damaged. Oh, good. There's a, there's a headline that says, no evidence of Pfizer. I'll just believe that because it makes me feel good. <laughs> this is what a lot of people do. Okay. Does this, um, this article that was sent actually address what I said? No, it doesn't address it, and here's why. First off, the article I re referenced was published after the one that was sent. It, uh, the, one, the one that says um, fact check no evidence was not written about the article I sent. It was written about another article. Okay? Uh, the author that they identify as being an anti-vaxxer is not the author of the paper that I re referenced. But even if they were... The evidence should stand on its own. It either has this problem or it doesn't have this problem. Who said it should not actually matter. The evidence should, should be either refuted or verified based on the actual evidence. Not, and and using, the, uh, using the attack of, well, that person has this position, therefore we won't actually examine the evidence. You see how that is not actually good science. Okay. The article, Fact Check, No Evidence the Pfizer COVID Vaccine Causes Alzheimer's Disease, did not actually provide evidence that the vaccines are safe. They only stated that the vaccines have, here's the statement, quote, not been shown to cause these problems, unquote. <coughs> Think that through. Not been shown to cause. Is not been shown to cause the same thing as they do not cause? And, and how could you show if a, any treatment, let's say we start a new antidepressant, and the antidepressant has the ability to cause the accumulation of these proteins in the brain, and then causing the accumulation of these proteins in the brain, eventually it causes Alzheimer's disease. If that were to be true of any new medicine, how would you be able to show that it causes? Can you show that it causes simply because you can show that the proteins accumulate? No. The accumulation of the proteins, if they do accumulate, begin to cause neurotoxic effects that cause the neurons to begin to die. And generally, the proteins for these disorders accumulate in the brain a decade before symptoms occur. At least a decade, typically. People with Alzheimer's dementia, as they begin having symptoms, the pathology of the accumulation of these proteins began at least usually 10 years before. So when they say, has not been shown to cause, that's an absolutely true statement. That's correct. It has not been long. You can't show a causal relationship because we haven't had the time. So what has been shown is that there's a theoretical science-based mechanism that it could cause this. But you're exactly right. It has not been shown to cause, but it also has not been shown to not cause. Mm -hmm. And so if you're ethical with this data out there that shows it may be accumulating these things because the spike protein binds to the heparin binding site in the brain, wouldn't it be ethical to inform people before they get the injection this is a possibility, hasn't been proven either way, 
And let's hope it's not true. Let's hope it does not cause this downstream. We will hope for that. We will pray for that. But it seems the ethics would be to inform people before they get it that this is a possibility and let them make their decision. And how about if this causes it 10 to 15 years after you get it and we're giving it to children? I'm just saying, we don't know at this point. I don't know. It hasn't been proven. So I want to thank those who reached out with the information to help clarify the points you need to clarifying and question the points that you want to question. Because, again, my position is let's follow the truth. Let's follow the evidence. Let's be corrected when we need to be corrected on this as well as our theology. This is the truth loses nothing by investigation. Then I received a letter this week. I'm going to share the letter with you that I received. I actually put it in the notes as well. Um, so I, I received it, but I guess I'll read it from my notes since I typed it out. It's a little easier to read the type than the handwriting. It says, good morning, Tim. I hope this finds you, your family, and all the Come and Reason team doing well. I've said it before, but I will say it again. My husband and I are so grateful you listened to God's call and became a spokesperson with this vital end-time message. We've been so blessed because of it, and thank you so much for all the resources you and, and your Come and Reason ministry provide us. I found this little gem this morning in a devotional written by E.G. White called Our High Calling and thought I'd share it with you and your team. It speaks so clearly of design law, I think, the law of worship to be specific. I am finding myself too often looking down instead of looking up. In our current world's environment, I can often be distracted by shadows. Remember the word shadows when we read the quote. And there are plenty of them today. As I write to you this morning, it is early and the sun is just beginning to rise, and I'm anxious about the rumored announcement that President Biden may be making today mandating all federal employees get the vaccine or weekly testing. He has already mandated that all VA employees get it, so I won't be surprised if he does the same with federal employees. I live in a state governed by a very left-leaning liberal who will, I know, follow suit and mandate vaccines for all state employees. As I work for the school district, I will be included in that mandate. My husband and I have been preparing for this even as we could see the handwriting on the wall uh, that it was a possibility. But nonetheless, we were hopeful that it wouldn't happen. We've been keeping it in prayer, too, and have been impressed that if, when I lose my job, it will be a sign that we need to sell our home in town and move to, onto some property we've purchased. The Lord is always faithful and gives us all we need, exactly the time we need it, so we are at peace with this decision. He has brought people into our lives who, are discern, who have discernment like we do, so we have a small network started of support for when times really get bad, i.e. food shortages, monetary collapse. We are all willing to pull together and share our skills, knowledge, etc., to support one another. I never thought I would be—I I never thought I would be on the side of the radicals, uh, as the mainstream thinkers call us. I always thought I—I've always been a quiet, "you leave me alone and I'll leave you alone" person. But I find myself being pushed out of that comfort of that comfort zone into one that puts me in a position to be more outspoken. I don't think it's a bad thing for me to but it sure can add to my discomfort. On the upside, it gives me lots of opportunity to share God's design laws with people. Well, I best go and look forward to the day when I can sit down with you and really share all that has happened to us because you were faithful to God's call. It won't happen here on earth probably, but there is always heaven. God bless you, Tim. You and your ministry are in our prayers. Isn't that nice? Okay, let's take a moment and pray for her. Would that be okay? Okay, and her family. And, and we'll pray also for everybody else in that situation. So dear Lord, creator God, who oversees all the, the big and small things in our lives, you know what's happening now on this earth, and you know that there are many, many people like our friend here who have in their heart to honor you and to live in harmony with you, to lift you up, to be lights in this world. So we ask that your angels will stand by every one of them, give them wisdom, give them discernment, and help them know exactly what decisions they need to make for their lives and their circumstances to uh, honor you and to fulfill your purposes for their life. We pray in your holy name. Amen. So this is the gem that they referenced from our high calling, and uh, I will share this with you as well. It says, uh, starting, it starts out with quoting Isaiah 5.20. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. 
If there were no light, there would be no shade. But while shade comes by the sun, it is not created by it. It is some obstruction that causes the shadow. So darkness emanates not from God, but is the result of an intruding object between the soul and God. Disregard of the light that God has given brings the sure result. It creates a shadow, a darkness that is more dark because the light which because of the light which has been sent. If a man withdraws himself from light and evidence, hmm, think about that in our society, and yields to Satan's seducing arts, he himself draws the curtain of unbelief about him, so that light cannot be distinguished from darkness. More light and evidence would only be misunderstood by him. The greater the evidence, the greater will be the indifference. Are we seeing this in society today? This will lead the deceived soul to call darkness light and truth error, and those who actually bring truth, heretic and science denier. Satan is constantly working to lead men to deny the light, It is but a step from the straightforward path to a diverging one in which Satan leads the way and where light is all darkness and darkness light. It is a dangerous thing to open the heart to unbelief for it drives the spirit of God away from the heart and Satan's suggestions come in. We must avoid the first admissions of doubt and unbelief. So whatsoever a man sows, he shall also reap, Galatians 6, 7. God destroys no man. Every man who is destroyed will destroy himself. When a man stifles the admonitions of conscience, he sows the seeds of unbelief, and these produce a sure harvest. So really really potent, and, and remember the shadows? Things that, yes. Our High Calling, page 26. That, that's fascinating, because in some occult and witchcraft nomenclature, shadows are synonymous with demons. Yes, isn't that interesting? So then in my devotions this week of my own, I came across uh, this, which was written back in 1902 by the same author, uh, in in, uh, the Australian Union Conference record. That's a common one you all read, isn't it? August 1, 1902. And this is uh, your, I think, I just found this quite pertinent for today. And those who are dead in trespass and sin demand our service. The man who is wholly absorbed in his counting room, that's uh, counting his money, okay? The man who finds pleasure in the gaming tables, that's gambling. The man who loves to indulge perverted appetites. The frequenter of the theater and ballrooms, we would say today, the Netflix junkie, the PlayStation and Xbox addict. That's what we would say today. Put eternity out of their reckoning. The whole burden of their life is what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Where shall we be clothed? They are not in the the procession that is moving heavenward. They are led by the great apostate, and with him will be destroyed. All around us are souls perishing in their sin. Every year, thousands upon thousands are dying without God and without hope of eternal life. The plagues and judgments of God are in, are in the land. Not are in the future. Are in the land. And souls are going to ruin because the light of truth has not been flashed upon their pathway. What are the judgments of God? If you remember, just a few weeks ago, I posted a blog, The Four Judgments. And in the Bible, God's judgments are his therapeutic judgments. He judges what's wrong. He diagnoses. He judges what's needed to wake somebody up, to convict them, to draw them, to woo them, to get them to turn around. So you look in the Old Testament, all types of judgments were coming along to help people, to convict people, or to stop the the progression of evil to destroy the avenue through which Messiah would come. God is judging what's necessary for the plan of salvation to be carried out and save people. That's his judgments. And he does things. He takes actions to to achieve those end goals. God judges what's most likely to awaken those slumbering, motivate them to seek treatment. And often it is the case that he must remove his protection and allow them to reap the suffering their rebellion causes. The same author here, talking about the 
10, the last plagues before Jesus comes. So she, she was shown the judgments of God would not come out directly from him, but in this way. That he, after he gives his reproofs, his directions, his admonitions, if people insist on going their own way, he does not commission his angels to protect them. And Satan has access to bring all the plagues. And we shall see more of Satan's terrible power at this time. So basically, God sets them free to no longer be under his protection and Satan attacks and the plagues come out. And do we understand very clearly, folks, viruses are not from God. Viruses are strands of either DNA, the the viruses that affect our physical body, are, are strands of DNA or RNA code that can infect cells and redirect the cell's machinery in a specific way. You know what, the, what if, if, if the viruses have their way, you know what they do in your cells? They take over the machinery and instruct the cells to make more virus. Me, 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 and more of me until the cell dies and releases all those virions into the cells around them, which make more me, 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 and more me, and does the same thing and does the same thing until the host dies and that also the cell and also the virus dies unless the virus can get into another host. It's exactly what sin does. It's exactly how sin works. Your immune system, however, was created by God. And your immune system, your white cells, go out and sacrifice themselves in order to protect you. This is how love works. Love sacrifices in order to save. God did not create viruses. They injure and they harm. They're part of Satan's creation. Understand, God didn't create viruses any more than Microsoft or Apple create viruses that infect their software. They don't create them. Enemies. Hackers, malicious people create the viruses. This particular virus, where did it come from? The COVID virus, SARS-CoV-2, where did it come from? From a godless country that manipulated the code in order to create a, a bioweapon to infect humankind. Do you think the people doing the research that created this particular version of the virus were following godly principles and honoring him and seeking to uplift the Lord? Not happening. Who, if, if they're not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, what's our understanding in the world? If the Holy Spirit is not influencing heart and mind, if the people have rejected a belief in God, if they believe in evolutionary biology, there is no God then whose minds are there being, who's influencing their minds? They're they're under, they're under the influence of the enemy. It's not surprising where this virus came from. Continuing on with the quote, the heart of God is moved. Souls are very precious in his sight. It was for the world that Christ wept in agony. For the world he was crucified. God gave his only begotten son to save sinners and he desires us to love others as he loves us. He desires those who have a knowledge of the truth to impart this knowledge to their fellow men. Now is the time for the last warning to be given. Remember the last message of mercy, the truth about God's character of love, which is the three angels' message, which is understanding him as creator and his laws as design laws, which are an expression of love? Yes. There is special power in the presentation of the truth at the present time. But how long will it continue? Only a little while. If ever there was a crisis, it is now. Wow, that was 1902. What about now? Is there a crisis now? What shall we say? What can we say to arouse those who know the truth, both ministers and laymen, to a sense of their responsibility? How can they be led to feel the burden of imparting to others the truth God has imparted to them? Oh, that we were awake to the purposes of God and to their individual responsibility. Then would they use every gift, every talent in the work of giving to the world the truth for this time. The number of laborers would be greatly increased. We pray for this. In our ministry, we pray constantly, Lord, bring more people to the field. Bring more people to share this message with their friends, their family, their neighbors. We pray for more laborers in the field. would greatly increase and the work would grow in influence and extent. God's people would be light bearers shining amid the darkness of the degenerate age. God has given all something to do. Now, listen to this. Those who are willing to work in self-denial and self-sacrifice will find their place, but those who seek only a safe and easy place need to be converted. Remember what we talked about last week? About the three lies infecting the society? 
about this philosophy that's coming along in our society today that we need safe spaces, that anybody who says anything that is offensive, that hurts us, that is even um, uh, 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 verbally uh, uh, accusatory or, or attacking or belittling or degrading, that, 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 that's, that's violence against me. And we should, we, should, we should create spaces where we're never challenged and we're never upset and we're never, we're never, our ideas aren't, 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 and no one ever calls sin, sin. Disagreement is abuse. Dis- yes. How many today are seeking to advance this philosophy of avoiding truth, silencing anyone who speaks words that cause conviction, something that would make them uncomfortable? According to this author, all such people, and I agree, who seek all these easy places and safe places need to be converted. They're unconverted. They live in fear. They don't live with courage and a sound mind, as the Bible says, that those who have Christ have. They don't have the peace that passes all understanding. They live in fear. And because they live in fear, they have to constantly look for threats. And they constantly see things that, that are upsetting to them. And they have to make more rules. And they have to use more force. And, and, and they believe the lie that they can have more freedom if they just get more regulation and more laws. They can just get more people controlled. They can be more free. What a corruption. Continue on. Until their hearts are renewed, their purpose is changed, God has no use for them in his work. I'm glad I didn't say that. Yeah. (laughs) It's a safe space after that one. Yeah. Let's go into Sunday's lesson. Uh, the lesson focuses on rest from physical sickness. Sometimes uh, when our bodies are unwell, when we have tests or diagnos- diagnostic studies pending, uh, we can stay at la- awake at night worrying. And the lesson also asks about uh, how do we find peace and rest in those circumstances? Well, uh, I-, I received an interesting letter. Here's another letter I received <laughs> from a gentleman named Bill Swinney. A 98-year-old World War II veteran. Wow. Okay. And I'll read some of what he wrote me. My name is Bill Swinney, a World War II combat veteran, 98 years of age. I am the father of six children, grandfather of 16, great-grandfather of eight. I have been operating my own business for almost 67 years. I grew up in the Great Depression, was scrawny and always hungry for several years due to my parents being very poor. I am the eldest of three kids, all of us having the same mother and father. Both of my siblings have been dead for over 10 years. Why not me? Here's my answer in two words. Attitude and perseverance. (laughs) My wife Brenda purchased your book, The Aging Brain. I ran across it on her desk and peered at several of the pages randomly and deduced that I could offer help for others uh, with my myriad of experiences and adventures. I'm attaching my Dr. Dumb letters that I prepared to give away at my church. Here's my recipe for living long and wonderful life in a few words. One, drink at least 64 ounces of warm water every 24 hours. Two, maintain a positive can-do attitude. Three, don't get caught up in inconsequentials. Four, stay off alcoholic beverages, altering drugs, nicotine, and caffeine. Five, leave the table when you're still a bit hungry. Amen. Six, be sure to regularly deposit waste in the toilet. <laughs> and then, um, some, from some of his Dr. Dumb letters, the first message deals with the mental or brain part of health. We constantly hear about health care and health insurance. There is only one health insurance, and that is living a healthy lifestyle. All the rest is sickness insurance. <laughs> The human mind is a marvelous entity. One can train his mind to view life in a positive, affirmative, joyful, and productive way or leave the mind in your what-if mode, that, uh, being ex- that being expecting gloom and doom around every corner. This is, remember, World War II combat veteran. Okay. Your brain and its attitudes triggers endorphins or chemicals that come to the aid of every part of your body in perilous times. The human body is the world's finest chemical plant. (laughs) And then the last letter ended with uh, attitude. Attitude is uh, managed by your mind and can be characterized into two simple areas, good and bad. (laughs) 
good attitude is faith-based. When our faith is strong, we have no fear. Fear is a destructive emotion. Do not confuse fear with caution. A strong faith defeats fear and de- a fear of death, defeats fear of, of the government, whose stupidity transcends all understanding. <laughs> no, this guy's great. Alrighty. Defeats anxiety, defeats worry, defeats self-pity, and, and declares victory over all the what-ifs. Of course, bad attitude lets what-ifs take charge. When what-ifs are in charge over our physical body, we become incubators for disease. Now, the mental part of health has been out, outlined and defined, so we move on to the physical areas of health. The physical areas compromise, but are not limited to the following. What and how much we drink, what and how much we eat, who we associate with, where we spend our time, how we view and pursue a financial livelihood, and six, how we deal with money and what happens when we don't have enough. All of the above six actions directly influence the next very important matter, adipose tissue and obesity. Do not surrender to the delusion, uh, delusional belief that your genes control your mind. Your gene, and he's right about that. Your, your genes do not control your mind. Your genes certainly influence your physical makeup. Your mother and father were tall and lanky. You're likely to be tall and lanky. Your mind, not your genes, control the six propensities mentioned above. Therefore, your mental choices determine the events in which you indulge. These six activities are habits. And then he goes on to describe more of those. Anyway, I thought that was uh, quite insightful and quite practical wisdom. So thank you for sending that, Bill. A lot of wisdom packed in a few short words. The overall theme, though, of what he wrote is living in harmony with God's design laws. That's what he was describing. You can't have health while violating the laws of health, mental, physical, or spiritual. The lesson focuses our attention on the paralytic who was let down through the roof, um, but God was first forgiven for his sins. And the fourth paragraph says, For the paralytic in the story, it was an obvious case. The desire of ages, uh, we get some background. The paralytic had done some things that he was not very proud of. His sinful life caused his sickness, and the spiritual experts drew a straight line from cause to effect. He had uh, brought this disease upon himself in his sins, and there was no cure. The lesson does an excellent job of pointing out the fallacy, though, of uh, human-imposed law systems and its need to blame, accuse, judge, punish, uh, which infects our thinking about physical illnesses. In other words, they point out that we shouldn't judge people with physical illness as if it's a cause for sin just because this one story and this one guy. Well, isn't that true for sin as well, though? Sin issues, the, the results of sin. Is it penal legal or is it design law? When you sin, it damages you. So this is the exact same thing with health. Now, the bottom paragraph says, when someone gets sick, it's not, a good, it's not good to start assigning blame. At the same time, we can, why can understanding the cause of sickness uh, be, in some cases, a crucial step towards healing? Well, let's answer the second one first, and the second one's straightforward. Understanding the cause of an illness then allows you to both uh, identify a treatment, and avoid having the same problem again. So you understand what caused it. You don't have to, if you have a cause that you can identify, you can avoid that cause in the future if you now understand the cause. Okay? This, this comes from eating just white bread, and it's called pellagra. If you eat white rice all the time and nothing else, you get a disease of vitamin B deficiency. I think it's thiamine deficiency. No, it's vitamin, which, which vitamin is it, pellagra? It's one of the B vitamins, B vitamin deficiency. Okay, we now know what the cause, so we don't do that. So, what are the reasons, though, today people have health problems? Okay, one, 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 that's right. One reason are based on personal choices. People can make choices that are actually harmful. Smoke, pack of cigarettes a day, get lung disease, direct cause-effect relationship from their choice to cause the disease. That's right. One uh, cause, eat Big Macs and fries seven days a week, you're going to get diabetes, obesity, hypercholesterolemia, etc. So one is, uh, can be, our choices. Is that the only reason people have health problems? No. Choices are parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents. Ah, so we can inherit various genetic and epigenetic 
issues that we didn't have a choice in that can affect our health. Absolutely. How about sin in the world? All nature groans under the weight of sin. All nature groans. Because all nature groans, there are genetic and other um, problems that we can inherit that maybe our parents didn't directly do or our grandparents didn't directly do, um, but it still impacts us. What about... Environmental toxins. That's what I was going. Yeah, environmental toxins. Yeah, various uh, pollutions and things that you have no, you didn't know, you, wouldn't, you drank water from Three Mile Island or lead out of the pipes up in Michigan or whatever. Uh, you, you didn't know you were getting any, you weren't making a conscious choice, but, but if you, does that protect you because you didn't know there was lead in the water? No, it was other people's choices that affect you. In those cases, that's true. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, and sometimes people will drink water that's infected. Uh, if you uh, drink out of a stream, you might get giardia, which is a, um, a parasite that can get in your gut um, because you drank out of a stream. Uh, you weren't doing anything evil, but maybe you're out on uh, a survival situation and that's the only water to drink. Uh, so there's all types of reasons why that we can have sicknesses today. And then accidents. You slip and fall down your stairs. Um, negligence unforeseen consequences, doing something that you think is going to be helpful, but you don't have know the future, and the action actually causes a problem down the road. What, now, what about aging? <laughs> is that God's design? No. Why, does aging cause health problems? What happens if somebody lives the perfect healthy lifestyle, eats only the perfectly healthiest foods, never has a toxin enter their body, exercises regularly, gets sunshine, breathes fresh air, sleeps eight hours a night, worships the Lord in love and, and does everything perfectly. What happens in 80, 90, 100, 110, maybe 120 years? What's going to happen? To go to sleep. They're still, their body's still going to wear out and die. Live in a world of sin. But why? Because we are born in sin, conceived in iniquity. Understand, every human being dies young. God designed in Eden eternal life for human beings. So what we call death, the sleep death, is still dying young, even if you live to be 120 in God's mindset. It's important to recognize that as we deal with questions around death and dying. From God's perspective, his greater interest is in restoring his law into our hearts and minds. You can call it bringing us to conversion, uh, renewal, rebirth, lots of metaphors in Scripture, but saving us so that when the body wears out, our individuality, our identity, is eternally secure with Christ so that we be resurrected and have eternal life. This is why Jesus said even those who die, those who believe in him will never die, even though they die, they will never die. The body may wear out, but their individuality is, is, uh, is never going to be destroyed. It will be resurrected. So, the lesson points out that oftentimes we don't consider an illness until after we have the symptoms, and that many times people believe that the symptoms are the problem and seek only symptom relief instead of treating the actual illness. This is exactly true in, in, in modern medicine today. It happens across the landscape of, of how we treat disease in this country. Um, many people with hypercholesterolemia, instead of changing their diet that would lower their cholesterol, they seek only to take cholesterol pills so they can continue to eat their Big Macs and fries. Okay, they don't want to treat the cause for the high cholesterol. And on and on it goes. I see this in psychiatry, um, most commonly with anxiety problems. Anxiety, if you've ever had anxiety, anxiety is to our minds, almost always, almost always, what pain is to our body. Think about experiencing some pain in your body. If you experience some pain in your body, anywhere in your body, is the first reaction you have, oh, I have a pain disorder, and the second act, and that's the first thought, and the second, and the first act is, I need pain medicine. Is that, is that how it works? I got a pain disorder, I need pain medicine, because I got pain. This is what happens. No, you, the first thing you do when you get pain in your body, you go, what's wrong? Pain is telling me something's wrong. And you try to identify what's causing the pain. I got a cavity. Oh, I'll get the cavity fixed. I got a thorn. I'll get the thorn out. I got a broken leg. I'll get it cast. Whatever. You got arthritis. 
whatever. You, you identify the cause. Isn't that what, what, what we want to do? And then you try to treat the cause with a hope that the pain goes away. With anxiety, it's almost always the same, except in the world today, people are taught if you have anxiety, you got an anxiety disorder. I can't tell you how many of my patients come in, decades of treatment for anxiety by other practitioners, but they've never considered cause of anxiety. It's almost always a symptom of some cause. Now, sometimes rarely, notice I said rarely, it can be a symptom of a physical problem. person with hyperthyroidism will frequently, if it's not treated and it gets high enough, have panic disorder. Heart racing, tremulousness, and all the symptoms of panic. And I have actually known of individuals who got initially diagnosed with panic and got put on some anxiety medicines before the thyroid was checked. If you only treated the symptom and never caught the thyroid problem and kept giving them Xanaxes or Klonopins or something to treat the anxiety, will they get better in that circumstance? No, you'll actually probably help kill them. Okay? Because you're not treating the cause. That's rare to have it be a physical, but it can be. Frequently, though, it is some other type of a cause, and there's many causes. I'll give you an example. In your own life, if you've ever gone swimming, if you remember as a kid swimming and roughhousing with your buddies, did anybody ever hold your head underwater? And what happens, what do you experience before you pass out? If they hold you, don't you get panicky? And, and, you, and let's say that you came up just before passing out and you were panicking. Do you come up out of there and go, I must have a panic disorder? <laughs> no. Do you, with your panic underwater, do you, you, Dr. Jennings sees you frantic and swims by with a snorkel and mask, go, here's a Xanax that'll help you. <laughs> Is that what you need? What do you need? Air or your head above water, right? Okay, there are many circumstances in life. I see in my office all the time people coming with panic. They're, they are having panic. They're not making it up. You wouldn't make it up if you're panicking underwater, but, but they're not under real water. They're under psychological water. They have so many deadlines, so many responsibilities, so many bills, so many kids to take care of, so many board meetings, so many church responsibilities, so much they've said yes to. It's not even feasible or reasonable they can keep up with it. And they would even say, I just can't get my head above water. And they'll panic. They'll start having, if they're responsible, if they're not negligent, if they, there are negligent people out there that say yes and never do anything, it doesn't bother them. The responsible ones, though, that want to meet their duties, they'll start panicking. And they will seek treatment. They will describe the panic, and they will have the classic panic symptoms because their body's reacting to the sense of drowning. So they're having heart racing. They're having tremulousness. They're having sleep difficulty. They're having sweats. They're having all this anxiety. And what do they get? They get a pill. What do they need? Need their head above water. They need to go resign from some committees, reorganize their life, structure things so they, they fulfill their duties in a way that's reasonable for a human being with limited time, energy, and ability. We all have limits. So good-hearted people often find that. That's one example of where people panic. It's not the only reason people panic and have anxiety. That's one, one, one reason. Sometimes it's a result of historic trauma. People who've been traumatized, particularly in children, it alters the developing brain. Their brain upregulates their fear circuitry. Their fear circuitry becomes more sensitive. It's firing more. And the, and the circuits that calm the fear circuitry are, are less developed. And so they're more panicky. They're more frightened. They see threats more. They also, that's brain, they also develop false schemas or false lenses in how they see the world. They see the world through a lens of threat matrix rather than security matrix. It's not a safe place. My, my grandfather, my dad, my stepdad, my mom, somebody abused me. If the people that are supposed to protect me abuse me, how can I trust strangers? It's not a safe place. So they got a threat matrix. This can also be helped and improved through psychotherapies, which trauma patients who get psychotherapy, uh, we see development of the prefrontal cortex, activation of the anterior cingular cortex, calming of amygdala, and we get epigenetic changes where we turn on genes that were suppressed. We improve neuroplasticity. We grow back receptors that help calm the stress circuitry. All this happens from a truth-based therapy. But many people don't seek the hard work, and it's hard work to do this type of stuff, I'll tell you. It's not, it doesn't feel good to do it. But I have to tell my patients truths, truisms, once there is brokenness, there are no pain-free options. 
You got a broken leg? We don't touch it. We don't do anything because it hurts. You're in chronic pain and you're chronically disabled. We put a pin in it. We go to a physical therapy. We do the hard work. There's pain in the process. Once there's brokenness, you can't avoid pain. Trauma victims almost always fail to understand this reality. And they almost always take the path of what hurts least right now. And therefore, they don't face and deal with the the trauma memories and the trauma issues in a therapeutic way, in a therapeutic way, because it's uncomfortable. That's the only path forward. And the cognitive therapies and the, and the other types of trauma therapies out there that have shown effectiveness, they all help people actually rework the trauma. You can't change history. You re- rework your mindset and perspectives about them. I've got to move on. There's many more examples there. I wanted to get into a little bit about depression because we're talking about depression in the lesson today as well. You get some practical things. It talks um, uh, about Elijah uh, running. No, I think this one talks about Oh, this one says, based on the data of the World Health Organization, the most common illness worldwide affecting more than 300 million people each year does not always have an obvious visible symptoms. Depression is the leading cause of disability worldwide and is a major contributor to global burden of disease. And that's absolutely true. Um, so what's going on? Why? And it's actually getting worse. I will tell you what, how we as a community and a society handle COVID made depression worse made anxiety worse. It was not good for people's mental health. Social isolation injures people. Mask wearing psychologically and relationally injures people. Okay, there's strong data on this. So depressions and anxieties went up during the, the COVID treatment. And then, and then, then when you throw in social isolation and you throw in mask wearing, and on top of that, you pour on a daily giant dose of fear, fear. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, constantly be afraid. You're firing your fear circuitry. Drives anxiety, drives uh, depression. The lesson goes on to talk about Elijah and how after Mount Carmel he became depressed and ran away. But strictly speaking, diagnostically in today's standards, Elijah did not have clinical or major depression. Elijah had an adjustment disorder with depressed mood. Okay. In both conditions, clinical depression or the adjustment disorder depressed mood, while the person's feeling depressed, they feel despondent, hopeless, discouraged, uh, fearful perhaps, uh, perhaps suicidal. But the adjustment disorder, the person is facing a situational stressor that's overwhelming their ability to cope. They become hopeless and discouraged and become depressed. And if you remove the stressor, though, they immediately improve and the depression resolves. But the person in clinical depression, uh, they don't actually improve with just a changing of the circumstances. Clinical depression or major depression is, has altered brain function, brain circuitry, has altered physiological activity in your body, and has altered um, epigenetic expression going on cellular problems in the brain, which genes get turned off and turned on. So let's talk about the actual clinical condition of depression. When somebody is depressed, the prefrontal cortex... That's where you reason, think, plan, problem solve, strategize. Okay, That's underactive. So people who are depressed have difficulty doing that. They have difficulty strategizing, problem solving, attending, concentrating. Um, the orbital cortex uh, above the orbit of your eye, when, which, which is normally gives you a conviction of wrongdoing. Okay, When you're depressed, it's overactive. So people who are depressed feel like they're, they're, in, they're inadequate. They're, they're doing things wrong. They feel guilt when they haven't actually done things wrong because the, this part of the brain is overactive. Uh, the anterior cingulate cortex, behind the bridge of the eye, somewhat back, is where you experience empathy, compassion, um, connectivity a certain way with other people. It's also where you make decisions. I choose to do this. I choose to do that. Underactive in depression. So people will feel uh, a, la- a loss of that sense of empathy and compassion and connectedness with others, that loss of uh, altruistic love. And they will have a very difficult time making decisions. They're ambivalent. I don't know. I'm just not sure. Decreased willpower? Yes. Diminished. Yes. And then amygdala is where we have fear and anxiety, and when somebody is depressed, it's overactive, so they have this sense of doom and apprehension and something bad's going to happen, even if there's nothing there. And then the nucleus accumbens, where you experience pleasure and joy, normal pleasures of life. You gotta love that. It makes you feel so good. Nucleus accumbens is not responsive. So a person who's depressed is having trouble problem-solving, concentrating, focusing. They feel disconnected from people. They have a sense of guilt and inadequacy. They're worried and fearful. And then if something actually good happens in their life, there's still no joy. That's how the circuits are when a person's in a clinical depression. So, 
And this leads, this, this circuitry imbalance leads to negative ruminating thought patterns where the guilt and anxiety predominate the way they see things. And they begin, if it doesn't get treated, they begin creating in their minds fear-based things. Nobody likes me. They always laugh at me. I can't do that. And those fears become beliefs and that begins to isolate them. And, the, and if it persists, they can actually get kind of entrenched in a very pessimistic negative worldview. This Im- so, um, and then this imbalance in brain circuitry will activate the body's um, immediate, uh, the, this body's innate immune system, which begins releasing inflammatory cytokines. And the inflammatory cytokines, because of the chronic imbalance where you're right upregulating all the stress circuitry all the time, um, causes a synaptic signaling. The actual cytokines get in the middle of the synapses and impair normal signaling of dopamine and serotonin and so things. And so the symptoms, if I were to take a syringe and just inject you with one syringe full of these inflammatory cytokines, what you would experience within a few hours is extreme malaise and fatigue, um, uh, a sense of... um, of uh, concentration and focus problems, appetite disturbance, sleep disturbance, and aches and pains all over your body. And this is uh, often what people with depression feel because they have elevated inflammatory factors in their body. And these then react back upon the brain, damaging white cells in the brain, which suppress then um, normal production of proteins your brain needs to keep healthy, like your neurotrophins. And this is happening, and I, I go through this because I want you to understand, if somebody has depression, this is a physiological illness that affects their entire being. Now, if you understand what I just described, anything that pushes your brain circuitry towards the imbalance impairs prefrontal cortex, increases amygdala activation, for instance. If, any, if, if we experience things that, that push our circuitry that way, that pushes us towards depression. If we, if we experience things that go the opposite way, it protects us from depression. So in our society today, theatrical television watching suspends activity in prefrontal cortex, activates amygdala activity. So more television watching, you have more risk of depression. If it's theatrical in nature, uh, educational programs like our class, if you're watching right now, that is not negative for your brain. (laughs) Exemption. Okay. No, that's true. It's been quite well studied. Educational program actually engages your prefrontal cortex. It's theatrical that does the problem that suspends prefrontal cortex activity. Uh, So... And then anything, so we can, we can push people toward depression by doing activities that change neural circuitry activity. We can also do it by doing things to the body that increase inflammation. So anything that increases inflammation will also then drive depression because the inflammatory changes are what's causing the cellular changes in the brain, turning off the neurotrophins. So what is it? Other things that would alter brain circuitry besides television watching? Denial, refusing truth, believing lies disrupts the circuitry. Unresolved guilt. You've done wrong and you won't resolve it. You won't, you won't deal with it. Grudge holding and resentment. And so what re- reconnects the salience network or this network that you get your, your, your top-down calming of your fear circuitry, that's what, what we're talking about here, is truth, repentance, and forgiveness. Being a lover of truth connects salience. That's what cognitive behavioral therapies or truth-based therapies. They activate prefrontal cortex to reconnect salience network, calm amygdala, and this way they have antidepressant benefit. Resolving old resentments, forgiving the people in your mind, heart that have done you wrong, and resolving your own guilt. These all reconnect where you have peace. If you've ever had guilt that you haven't dealt with for a while, and then you've resolved it and you've gotten peace, how much is a clear conscience worth to you? It's so, so, so relieving, okay? And then, when you, when you understand all of what I've just described, do you see why there's so much depression now in our society? Another factor, though, increasing inflammation, a study of 9,000 adults found that uh, people who eat fast food, junk food, uh, like pizzas, hamburgers, donuts, croissants, candies, on a regular basis, um, they had a 40% higher rate of depression than those who did not eat those foods because those are highly inflammatory foods. Any amount increased uh, the risk of depression, it's a dose-dependent. The more you eat, the bigger the effect. The less you eat, the less the effect. But other things, smoking, inflammatory, increases depression. Alcohol abuse, drug abuse, type 2 diabetes, if you're an adult diabetic, this is an inflammatory state. That's what causes the diabetes, and those with adult diabetes have a 24% higher rate of depression than people without diabetes. Chronic pain. People in chronic pain states have more depression. It's in, not only is it inflammatory, chronic pain um, interferes with normal sleep and uh, exercise and so many other healthy activities when people are in chronic pain. I'm not going to talk about medications. 
Oh, we're out of time. We've gone over. In my notes, I have a whole list of things that we can do in your life that can actually give your brain resilience and give you and push you in an, toward an antidepressant lifestyle. Uh, and I explain the reasons why and what's happening and the and the research and some articles and and this includes uh, I'll just say some of them real quick without going and explaining each one and giving examples of each one. Regular physical exercise. One study showed that that casual casual exercise. Leisure time, one hour a week. It's like taking a walk. Okay? Had a 12% reduction in depression for casual exercise, one hour a week. Just to show it has an effect. Because when you exercise, it turns on all the neurotrophins in the brain. It also, uh, turn, the muscles will make interleukin 10, which suppresses all the inflammatory interleukins or cytokines. So it has an anti-inflammatory effect when you exercise regularly. P- uh, plant-based diets. Anti-inflammatory. And multiple studies show Mediterranean plant-based diets have an antidepressant effect. Um, 33% reduction in your risk of depression if you eat a healthy diet. Um, and then I get, uh, there's some specific nutrients in here I talk about. Uh, sleep is a requirement for health and life. And, and I, I wish I had time to talk to you about the benefits and purposes of sleep. I would say go to our, our website. I have lectures on our website um, that you can see that has all this information in it. So let's go ahead and close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you are an amazing God of truth and love, and we love your methods. We ask for your spirit to transform us, heal us, lead us into ever healthier living in harmony with your principles and methods. We pray in your holy name. Amen.